we are fascinated with crime. You, know, you turn on the TV, there are endless episodes of Law and Order. I don't even know how many years of that there is. And, and then there's all those CSI spinoffs. I mean, this one and that one. There's shows like Criminal Minds and, and all these other shows. And then we, we get caught up in the true crime stories. Uh, we, we watch the documentaries and we, we watch those true crime specials and we see who did it and how they did it. Did they get away with it? If they didn't get away with it, we, we want to know how they got caught. One of the things you notice if you watch a lot of those true crime shows is when it comes to financial crimes especially, whether it's a bank robbery or fraud or even identity theft, very often it's an inside job. Someone with inside knowledge, someone within the organization who knows the, the, the plans, who knows when people come and go, they know the accounting practices, they know the procedures, somebody was in on it. It was an inside job. And sometimes they did it willingly, they were complicit, but other times they did it unwittingly, they were used. This month we're looking at Satan's favorite schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. I'm not always sure that's, I'm not sure that's always true. Not, too often I think we, we are very ignorant of what Satan's doing. But other times, it's not that we're ignorant, we are complicit. We are helping him with his schemes. We're, we're in on it with him. Whether he's using us or whether we're going along with it willingly, too often, Satan's schemes end up being an inside job. How can you say that, Brett? That's what you're thinking right now, right? How can you say that? We would never go along with Satan and, and his schemes. That's not something we would do. Let me give you some for instances. Jesus tells us, this is my command, this is my command, command, this is commanded, this is my command, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. That's a command from Scripture. So what happens, we're not going to say hate, because that's, a, that's an awful word, what happens when we don't show love? Are we following Jesus' command? No. What happens when we, what happens when we gossip? about other people. We tell stories about them. That's, that's not love, is it? What, what happens when we fail to care for someone who's in need? That's, that's not love. So if we're not following Jesus' command, whose will are we doing in those instances? Let me give you another one. Jesus said, forgive as my heavenly Father has forgiven you. So when we hold a grudge, when we hold on to that hurt when we will not let it go and we, when we out and out say, I will not forgive that. Whose will are we doing in that instance? Whose work are we doing? One more. Jesus comes. My favorite, my absolute favorite title for Jesus. Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. He wants peace in your life. He wants you to live peaceful lives in this world. And yet when we continue to stir up drama, when you don't just have drama come into your life, when you go looking for drama. And there are people who go looking for drama. Is that allowing Jesus to reign as Prince of Peace in your life? Or is that allowing someone else to reign in your life? 
We are not ignorant of His schemes. I think more often than not, we're not ignorant of His schemes. I think we're in on it with Him. I think it's an inside job. All the more reason to be aware that we have an enemy who seeks to steal from us. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the enemy, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they might have life and have it abundantly. That is a beautiful verse. And that's a, that's a wonderful verse. But that verse isn't just there for us as individuals to have our own little abundant life in my own little corner of the world. That's there for us as the life of the church, the life of God's people, the community of faith. And if we're going to experience the abundant blessings that God has for all of us, then we are going to need to be aware of Satan's schemes. So we're going to look at that passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those blue Bibles in front of you. It is on page uh, 964. If you've got your phone with you, we've got it all set up on the Bible app. You can follow along with that. Verse 11 is where you read those words. We are not ignorant of His schemes. Or if you're reading from the ESV as I will be doing today, we are not ignorant of His designs. We're not ignorant of Satan's plans, his, his intentions. You need to understand this. Satan despises God. Satan hates God. And you and I have been created in the image of God. And so he hates us. Not only are we created in the image of God, the one that he hates, we have been saved by his son. We have been filled with his Holy Spirit. And so since Satan cannot destroy God, it can't be done, Satan cannot destroy God, we are his targets. His schemes are against us. And if we're going to experience victory over him, we need a scheme of our own. We need to be aware of the enemy's schemes and we need a plan if we're going to overcome his schemes. We need a plan to defeat him. I'm going to give you a plan to defeat him today and I'm going to, it's real easy to remember, I'm going to give you a 3D plan. 3Ds. You don't even need special glasses, but it's a 3D plan to defeat Satan and his schemes. And the first D to remember is this, be determined. Be determined to know what Satan's schemes are. Be determined to know his goals. Now, what we've got here in 2 Corinthians is half of a conversation. That's what it is. We have, we have about half the information that we need here in, uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2. And so we have to look at the context, and we have to fill in a few of the missing details that, that we know and to kind of piece together what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, to make matters worse, <laughs> this is going to make matters worse. You know how in your Bibles you've got 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? Both of them letters written to the Christians in the city of Corinth. That's why they're called Corinthians. It's not because of the leather, the rich Corinthian leather. Remember that? No? Okay, good. It's just me. Anyway, so in the Bible we've got 1 and 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he wrote a previous letter that we don't have. The Holy Spirit did not preserve his previous letter. But Paul says, in my previous letter I wrote to you. So our 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. You follow me so far? Our 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. Now, you want to make things a little worse? In 2 Corinthians, in your Bible, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he wrote a, a, a previous letter, a short letter, 
It was a short letter. It was a harsh letter. He calls it a letter of tears, a letter of sorrows. And we don't have that letter either. So 2 Corinthians is actually 4th Corinthians. Now, raise your hand if you're really good and confused, because that's where I need you right now. Anyone confused? You got it all sorted out? Excellent, perfect, we're ready to go. <sighs> Paul repeatedly mentions this, this short, harsh letter that he wrote, and he says he's sorry he had to write it. He says, he says he, he, he's sorry he had to write it. It was necessary, but it was very, very difficult. And evidently in this letter, he addresses an issue of sin with an individual in the church there in Corinth. Now, now, we don't have that letter. Why didn't the Holy Spirit preserve Paul's harsh letter? I don't know. But I, for one, am glad that the Holy Spirit did not preserve the harsh letter. Every now and then, we have to say harsh things. Every now and then, it's necessary we say some harsh, difficult things. I don't like to do it, but sometimes I have to do it. We have to say harsh things. And after, you kind of wish that those words would just kind of be forgotten. You know? You kind of wish that maybe you could just forget them. And apparently the Holy Spirit is okay with those harsh words being forgotten. So if the Holy Spirit's okay with those harsh words being forgotten, I want to be okay with those harsh words being forgotten. Now, to Paul's credit, he never names the sin in our 2 Corinthians. And he doesn't name the sinner. He doesn't give us the person's name. All he does is express his forgiveness. This individual has repented. It's important you know that. This person has repented. And now it is time for the church, which at one time took a stand and said, we're not putting up with that. It's time for the church to forgive. And so we begin in verse 5. Paul says, now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you to, to know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And indeed, what I have forgotten, if, if I have forg what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. We are not ignorant of his designs, his schemes, his plans against us, against the church, against God. Satan despises God. But there is no way Satan can attack God. God is too powerful. He is too mighty. Satan cannot attack God. That's why when we read the book of Revelation, when we get to Revelation, where does the battle take place? The battle takes place on earth because Satan, we're told in Revelation, has no place in heaven. So the battle takes place here where you and I live, where you and I are created in the image of God, where you and I have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, where you and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Here on earth, where you and I have the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So who is Satan going to attack? He's going to attack us. 
And what is he going to attack within us? He's going to attack the image of God in us. I want you to hear me. The image of God is never clearer in you than when you forgive. You never look more like God than when you forgive someone. That is the the perfect example of the image of God within you. So if Satan can keep us from forgiving, if he can keep stirring up old hurts, if he can keep stirring up those those wounds and, and stirring up those memories, then he can mutilate the image of God in us. If he can keep us busy fighting and bickering and arguing with each other and, and not forgiving each other and hurting and wounding each other, then we will never have time to win the world. We will never have time to dru- truly be the church, be determined to know His plan. He wants to keep us from forgiving. Be determined to know that. Recognize it when you see it. And then, the second D, be defensive against his schemes. Be defensive. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus tells us in John 10.10. The thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, contrary to what you may have seen in scary movies or read in scary books, Satan cannot kill you. Satan cannot wipe you out. Just can't be done. You have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? You have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Satan can't touch you. You are untouchable. So what's he going to steal? What's he going to kill? What's he going to destroy? I think he wants to steal your joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? I think he wants to steal your joy. I think he wants to, I think he wants to kill your faith because faith is your victory, right? I think he wants to kill your faith. I think he wants to destroy as much as possible the image of God in you until you come to a point where you are joyless, you are faithless, and you don't look a thing like your heavenly Father. Until you come to a point where you willingly walk away from God. You walk away from His church. You walk away from His will for your life. I would be willing to bet that every one of you has a smoke alarm in your house, right? You've got smoke alarms in your house. Hopefully you change the batteries every now and then. But I'm willing to bet you got smoke alarms because fire is a real danger. Amen, Kansas Christian Church? Fire is a real danger. I would be willing to bet that most of you lock your doors at night. We didn't used to. Raise your hands if you don't lock your... No, don't do that. Don't do that. I would be willing to bet most of you... I've actually caught myself in the middle of the night getting up and going to check in, just in case. You lock your doors at night. We didn't used to, but we lock our doors at night to protect the things that we love, whether they are living or otherwise, we lock our doors. Some of you... Some of you have concealed carry licenses. I know you do. And that's your right. It is your right to protect yourself. It is your right to protect the ones that you love. You have the right to have those concealed carry licenses and and carry. You take such care to protect things that are temporary. You take such care to protect things 
that are temporary. And yet at the same time, you and I will freely give Satan reign in our thoughts, in our minds. We will let him walk around like he owns the place. We'll let him throw little thoughts in there about people that have done us wrong and this situation and that situation. And we'll let him stir up anger and hatred and bitterness until we come to the point where we say, I will not forgive that. There is nothing more ungodly than that sentence. I will not forgive that. But the good news is, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Right? Are we? Paul provided the Corinthians with a prescription against Satan's schemes in these verses. And again, we don't know what the sin was. All we know is that it was bad enough that Paul called this person out harshly. He, he named him in the previous letter. But, but now, now that this person has repented, now that apparently this person has in tears come back and said, I am sorry for what I've done. What is Paul's call to the Corinthian church now? He says in verses 7 and 8, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or else he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Three words that that Paul gives us to combat Satan's schemes, to keep Satan from reigning in your life and, and in the life of the church. And the first word is forgive. In fact, if you read these short few verses in this passage, in this passage alone, Paul uses the word forgive five times. Do you think it's important? If he repeats it five times, do you think it's important? There are a lot of people around us. There are a lot of people around us who can't forgive themselves for the things that they've done. And as a result, if they can't forgive themselves, they can't believe that God has forgiven them either. They, they end up feeling lost and they feel like failures and they, they feel, well, they, they feel unforgiven. And you and I have the ability to come alongside them and to say those three words I forgive you. Now, I want you to think for a moment. What do those three words really do? What does it really mean when I, a, a human being who does not have the power to cast someone into hell, who does not have the power to actually forgive someone of their sins, I don't have that. What does it mean when someone like me says, I forgive you? What does it really do? I don't have the power to forgive sins. But you and I have the ability to confirm what we already know about God. We know that God forgives. We know that God loves. We know that He shows amazing grace. And we can reaffirm that truth in three little words. I forgive you. Paul says forgive him. And then he says comfort him. What does he mean by comfort him? Well, I think what Paul means is you go down to Walmart and you pick out a card and you, you sign your name and you mail it off. That's comfort, right? That's No, maybe not. Maybe Paul means you pick up your phone and you text him and say, praying for you. That's probably not what Paul has in mind either. It's interesting that the word that Paul uses here for comfort 
It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when He describes who the Holy Spirit is. He calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And the word literally means He is the One who walks alongside you. So that whatever pain you're going through, someone walks alongside you with that pain and they are there with you. Whatever it is, in whatever way you've been hurt, someone says, I'm not going to leave your side until you get through this. Whatever it is you're struggling with, the one who walks alongside you, the one who comforts you, is the one who says, I'm here for you. I will always be here for you. Forgive. And then he says, comfort him. And then he says in verse 8, so I beg you, I beg you, to reaffirm your love for Him. What does that mean? That means you're, you're not only going to say that you forgive, and you're not only going to half-heartedly offer comfort, you are going to love this person until He is convinced that you love Him. And you know, a big part of that reaffirm your love, a big part of it is that you are going to do this publicly. Every now and then, I've done... I've done services where couples want to renew their vows. We do those publicly. When we have a wedding, we do it publicly to affirm the love that you have for one another. Paul says, reaffirm your love for this man. Other people are going to know that you love this person because when they know that you love, when they know that you forgive, that gives them the power and the strength to love and to forgive also. Be determined. To know what Satan's scheme is, he wants to make you a very unforgiving person. He wants to wipe out the image of God in you. Be defensive against his schemes. That means you're going to love, you're going to comfort, you're going to reaffirm your love. You're going to forgive, comfort, and reaffirm your love. But you also need to be aware of the third D, and that is this. Be diligent. Be diligent because Satan is diligent. There is never going to come a time in your life where Satan says, darn that Chris. He is just too strong for me. I guess I'm going to have to go pick on someone else. Satan doesn't do that. In fact, he, he didn't do that with Jesus. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4, we've got Jesus is facing the temptations. Turn the stones into bread. Throw yourself down from the temple. Worship me. Jesus overcomes all those temptations. And then verse 14 says that Satan departed him until an opportune time. That's what Satan does. He plays the waiting game. He's got a long game he's playing. And he will wait. He will wait as long as he has to. He will wait. Trust me. He will wait until you think that you've got this forgiveness thing all figured out, that you understand the grace of God, and that you're living this life right. And then finally, wham! It'll all come back. And you'll remember what that person did to you, or what they did to someone that you love, and you'll start stirring up those feelings again, and all of a sudden you'll realize, I can't forgive that. And I just got to say, what does not forgiving do for you? What, what does not forgiving do to you? What, how does not forgiving fix anything? Did you know 61% of all cancer patients, 61% of all cancer patients admit that they have a problem forgiving people. And more than half of those will admit 
that it's severe. 61% of cancer patients admit they have trouble forgiving people. Did you know that chronic anger, and that's what unforgiveness is, it's chronic anger. Did you know that chronic anger raises your heart rate? It raises your blood pressure, and it lowers your immune response? Did you know that unforgiveness increases your risk of depression and heart disease and diabetes? And did you know that not forgiving something does absolutely nothing to the person you refuse to forgive? But the good news is, we are not ignorant of his schemes. <laughs> or are we ignorant of his schemes? We don't know what the issue was in the church in Corinth. But from what we can kind of suss out from all the details that we have, Paul apparently was personally hurt. Like somehow this person had attacked Paul's leadership. He had, he had attacked Paul's authority and Paul felt that and he responded harshly to it. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 10. Verse 10 blows my mind. Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And indeed, what I have forgot, forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Did you see that? Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. You want to give someone else that kind of power in your life? Are you, are you willing to do that? Anyone you forgive, I'll forgive. If, if you forgive someone, I'll forgive them too. That's what Paul is saying. And, and then he goes on and he says, you know what, I've already forgiven it and I forgave it for your sake. I forgave it because I knew you were going to have trouble. So I went ahead and forgave this person their sin for you. How is Paul able to do that? I think the first reason why he's able to do that is because Paul is not ignorant of Satan's schemes. He knows exactly what Satan is trying to do. If he can keep us fighting and arguing and gossiping and not forgiving each other, then he's won. But to a greater point, I think Paul's able to do this because he understands community. He understands we're in fellowship with each other. And that fellowship involves trust. It, it involves unity. It involves respect. And if I am in fellowship with you and you have forgiven that person, then if I want to stay in fellowship with you, I need to forgive them also. I need to do that. I need to take that step. We are not ignorant of his schemes. <laughs> Satan's schemes demand our defense. Be determined. Be defensive. And be diligent. And above all else, know this. Satan wants to mutilate the image of God in you. Now, he doesn't do that by attacking your face. He does it by attacking your heart. Don't let him do that. Don't let him have that kind of power over you. Every now and then I'll have a conversation with someone. I've had people come to me with a, with a concern and, and sometimes they come to me in tears. I've had people come to me and say, I need to tell you what I've done. I need to tell you the mistakes I've made. I need to tell you the things that I'm ashamed of. And they, they will tell me some of those things. And then I've had them ask me the question, Am I going to be allowed at your church? I've made these mistakes. Is it okay if I come to your church? And I've even been told stories about people who have made some mistakes and, and they've been told, you're not going to be allowed to come here because of what you did. 
I see no way around it. If, if Jesus is forgiven, if, if there's been repentance, if Jesus is forgiven, we forgive. Otherwise, we are being pretty ignorant of Satan's schemes. Let's stand and pray. Father, the, the devil likes nothing better than to whisper in our ears that we are unworthy. And so the next time he reminds us of our mistakes, can you give us the strength to remind him of his mistakes? And when he reminds us of our past, will you give us the ability to remind him of his future? You know, Father, so often he's right about us. We are sinners. But unlike him, we are forgiven. Unlike him, we have a redeemer. Unlike him, we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and we are covered by his grace. So help us to make it our mission to make sure that nobody misses out on your grace. Nobody misses out on that message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.